Welcome to A Retro Perspective, a video game podcast that takes a look at long-running franchises one game at a time. This season, we're taking a look at Nintendo's flagship IP, The Legend of Zelda. If you're just now joining us, we recommend beginning your journey with Episode 1. With that out of the way, I'm Carly. And I'm Kyler. Let's get started. It's fitting that after years of rumors and mysteries hung over the landmark Ocarina of Time, that its sequel, 2000's Majora's Mask, would bring them to fruition in such a mysterious way. Known for its famous three-day cycle mechanic, Majora's Mask's development is plagued by its own form of time crunch. Initially tabbed as Ura Zelda, Majora's development began when Shigeru Miyamoto asked Eiji Anuma to create alternate versions of his previous dungeon designs as an expansion to Ocarina of Time. Uninspired by the task at hand, Anuma began creating brand new dungeons on the side. When he finally showed his work to Miyamoto, he was granted permission to create a new Zelda game, but with a catch. He'd have to do it with a year of development time. Miyamoto's demand came with the understanding that the development team would reuse assets from Ocarina of Time, but it was still a big ask. Yoshiaki Koizumi of Link's Awakening and Ocarina fame came on board with the big idea that would shape development, a time cycle that would allow the game to be played again and again in order to progress. This was the guiding principle the game needed, a unique tension and pathway that would allow for a dense experience. The story of Majora's development seems to mirror that of Link's Awakening. A small project turned monumental, the unique vision of Koizumi, and a quick and independent development that allowed fresh ideas to surge through. If Ocarina's text is nostalgic, it's Majora's development that carries that feeling here. In the modern era, it's inconceivable that a mainline Zelda could be developed in just a year, or even entertain such a time frame. Majora's Mask's ingenuity is an extension of its format's abstraction. The imagination already inherent in playing such blocky constructions naturally lends itself to its alternate universe concept. It's lightning in a bottle, beholden to its time. Something we may never catch again. So, Kyler, first things first, this could be an easy answer for you. How do we like the game? <laughs> oh, I love this game. It is, without question, one of my favorite games of all time. Um, I don't know if I don't know if I would say it. I think it sits at number one for me pretty pretty handily with a thousand year door not far behind at all but i don't know this game there's there's nothing there's nothing like it and and it really has always been a love it or don't affair i don't even want to say hate it because I, I just don't i think you'll just it's in, not inevitable but <laughs> that you'll love it but just i don't know the nature of a game like this especially in a series as big as zelda is just such a major standout and it's a standout in a way it's just it works in a way that it that it shouldn't at all. And I don't know what it is, but something about me and the way I enjoy exploring worlds, Majora's Mask hits it in like the way that I could always want it. Like, which is I guess that's in the same way why I love Thousand Year Door similarly. It has to do with those same reasons. It's just like they kind of strike those same notes really well. I just yeah, I I love this game. I I don't have more articulate details than that, <laughs> but that's 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 my initial thoughts. Yeah, I think for me it's it's kind of the mixture. What makes it special to me is that it kind of exists in a time where it's big enough that it feels sort of boundless and like there's tons to do, but it's not so big that you don't get to personally know every corner of it. I think Thousand Year Door is also like that in that respect where it feels like it keeps going on and on and on, but you also kind of know everyone's name and design. And I think that's something that sort of 
I don't know, unique to it. It's sort of like, almost like a diorama. It feels like something that you can look into and something finite that you can get to know very well versus the sort of procedural feeling of... I think the thing that's really interesting to me about this game versus sort of the way that we see NPC interactions in other games that you could play now is that there's never that sort of in and out where nowadays you always have crowds of people and you have like the people you can interact with and then like the people that you can literally see like fade in and fade out or like appear, you know, like and spawn sort of. And it's really fascinating if you try to find the holes in this game and like try to find like the NPCs breaking, you don't, like, don't really see it. It's pretty, I mean, it's rock solid. I always find it, I'm always very excited to play it and it's always very high on my list of games that I think that I love and then I play it and I don't love it. I don't dislike it. <laughs> Make sure that that's very clear. I think it's really awesome. I think it's more so that I love the idea of it Hmm. And I love the first half of it more. And the second half is always kind of like, I really hit the wall when I go to Great Bay. I'm like, oh, cool. I'm going to go to Great Bay. No, I hate it. Yeah. <laughs> no, I hate it. But it's tough for me. It's, yeah. The first two areas are so strong. And the early game, part of it is also like, I think you get to a certain point of side quests where if you feel like, if you just focus on that, you leave yourself so bottom heavy in the back half that it's kind of tough then it feels like a part of the game has sort of died and you've beaten it too early it kind of feels like late game of ocarina except late game of ocarina is like two dungeons and two dungeons here is huge so when i feel like i've played most of the game like from a side quest standpoint going into great bay it's like kind of tough um, yeah but that's just sort of how i feel about it is that like, i love it and then it's hard for me to finish. It's really hard for me to finish. I love starting it and I don't love finishing it. Hmm. Yeah, I can, I, uh, I think especially as we discussed this game throughout our, uh, playthrough, especially those, those, de- those feelings definitely became more evident to me. Um, I think purely on just the, the specific nuances that hit on the, the right notes for me that I love so much. I, in any other playthrough that I do where I'm not thinking about it as much, a lot of those things just kind of glaze over for me. They 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 hardly matter. In a sense, like with a game, the way it's presented, it, it makes sense. Uh, but it's definitely like in discussing it, it's definitely very evident that the second half of the game, in terms of like the the depth of the content, I mean, just you think of you think post post temple completion for Great Bay and Stone Tower, and they're and they are severely lacking to compare it to the kind of a little the little the nice additions that the that Woodfall and Snowhead in particular added to it. Um they weren't it wasn't like a lot, but it was enough that it was just like, hey, like everyone's, you know, out and about. Things are things are better now. And you have like a you have like one or two neat, pretty cool extras that you get to do. That really isn't the case with uh I mean with Great Bay there's one thing. Yeah, there's one mini game. That's and, it. <laughs> and and nothing physically changes about the area either. Uh about but or about about the either of the two. Like you see well, Great Bay, you don't you don't witness anything happen with it um, at all. The water's supposedly not warm anymore, but <laughs> I guess that's that. And then the spirits are at peace in Account of Valley, but again, that's you can go talk to Pamela and her father. I guess that's 
but that's really it unless there's something I missed in Iconic Castle I've never actually which I, I went hmm. through I went through pretty hardcore this playthrough um, to figure out everything that changes and I had to replay a lot of bosses to do that and I think oh. I was like most annoyed when I replayed uh, the Stone Temple boss the name uh, Twin Mold Twin Mold thank you yeah which is a kind of <laughs> It's either a boring fight in the original or it's a really annoying fight in the 3DS remake. So you take your pick on that one. Yeah, I have no memory. I don't think I ever beat it in the N64 version. So now my only memory is uh, the 3DS version. And the first half of the 3DS version fight is fun. And the second half fight, I did not understand what I was supposed to do. And I almost (laughs) ran out of time. And I was like punching that stupid thing for what felt like an hour. It was horrible. Um, Yeah, it's it's not good. Yeah, it's like, yeah, screw that fight. First part of yeah. it's pretty fun, but was there was there any like when you go back to Iconic Castle when the spirits are at peace? Is there anything? Or are they just yeah? Gone? So no, so that was the thing that's super weird. If I remember correctly, after I beat the boss, I went everywhere to be like, what does this do? And it the tunnel where whatever flat or sharp, whichever one it was, um, he's not there anymore. The oh, okay. Poe collector person isn't there anymore. But that doesn't really mean anything. That just means you lose access to something. Yeah. <laughs> and it doesn't... All you needed for that other room, the other challenge, you don't need to beat the dungeon. Yeah. No, you don't. I think you might give you a different dialogue, maybe, if you do that. But also, I don't think it does. Anyways, if you go to... Then if you go to Ikena Castle, you actually can go through and you can fight the king again. And he gives you the same dialogue about like evil or whatever. Like literally, oh. it's the exact same thing. He's not gone. You can literally go fight him, which doesn't make any sense. That, yeah, that doesn't. Yeah. So I was like, oh, well, he's going to, or even after I beat it, I was like, well, he's going to, well, I guess he would be at peace and he would be gone. But I figured there would be some sort of, it would make sense that he wouldn't be there. So that was weird. Yeah. But I actually found it, I mean, at least in that one, it's in a, an abandoned area. I found it more jarring with Great Bay because I think the problem for Great Bay with me is that you get there and it seems like this really booming area with a lot going on and it doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> and I think like the weirdest whole, like there's kind of a weird thing with this game where anyone who's not related to the main story quest is always going about their business and has a routine. Yeah. But due to the nature of it, they can't do that with anyone that's involved in like the main story because they need to have you be able to access them so that you can play through it and not have to like have it be really tedious or specific. But where it feels really weird is like with Lulu, I don't really understand. And like, I don't know, maybe I'm just thinking about it too hard, but everything in this game is pretty airtight, but any everything that happens with the Zora eggs doesn't really make any sense. As to what, like, them... Well, it's just weird because them. she has no reaction or any, like, change in dialogue to... Like, it's almost unintuitive to the sense that, like, you're not really sure what you're supposed to do because, like, you talk to the band leader and he tells you about the eggs. Yeah. And then he... You're options opens up so you can hand him stuff so it's like is it possible oh. to give him eggs and why would you ever do that i think he would just tell you to go yeah give them if you show to him, to him i think he just guy. tells you to go and i guess maybe you would i know that because 
I don't know. I do. But even if you go talk to the lab guy, which you probably should because it's right by the owl statue and he's right there. You should probably yeah. just talk to him. Then he's like, oh, like where are the Zora eggs? It's about Zora egg time. So I think you know it's pretty obvious yeah. that that's where you should go. So I don't understand why there's like the red herring of like talking to the band leader because that seems really confusing. <laughs> um, but it, I don't. It's weird because. Oh, why does she have the eggs? How? Why do the Gerudo steal them? How do they have them? Well, not the Gerudo, the pirates, excuse me. But how do they have them? And then you drop them off and they teach you a song. And you just go do the song to her and she's not like, where are my kids? I don't know. That's so weird <laughs> to me. Are they just musical notes or are they actual sentient Zoras? And like, should she care about them? Like, there's no reaction. It's not like she, like, it would make sense that she would, like, show up at the lab or be like, oh, my God, my children. Yeah. But, like, I don't, huh. I don't really understand. It has <laughs> like, always been kind of weird. That, I don't abstract know. kind of section. Because yeah, it doesn't really make sense. And then, but yeah. you also would expect her to have reactions to things, like, when you rescue them or, like. I don't know. I just, the usage of the Zoras is so weird because it feels like more should be going on there. Or that you should see them again. Or like, just for the only thing to happen after the dungeon is I think then they have a rehearsal and you can listen to them. But I don't think you, you don't get anything out of it. No. So it's also weird. Yeah. The, the only actual reward item you can do is for the, the island jumping minigame. Yeah. That you do once and then you're done. Well, and it's another it. one. It's same thing like Inkana, where when you beat it, something actually goes away that you could have done. So it's like that like band member side quest you can only do before you've beaten a dungeon and they're all practicing together uh, oh true yeah i guess that is the same yeah way. so oh, it's dang. like I, hmm. I don't know it's just after having the first two dungeons where it felt like there there was literally like more to do and it felt like more alive after you fix things in those two it's weird I don't know. yeah but yeah, yeah. Great Bay especially was the one where i was most like it's weird because there's so many characters here and for whatever reason and like the goran village kind of makes me feel that way too but a little bit less there's there's like specific characters who will help kind of tip you off to things and it's also like a direct path to the song that you need any like either way so yeah like in some respect like it's it's far less abstract because i mean most likely like especially if it's nighttime you are you are most likely if you end up going inside the Go with like Goron Village, you you will probably be a Goron. And if you won't, even if you talk to him at the very top, because I mean, and you're bound to be drawn to him, it's impossible to miss him because <laughs> he's wailing away. Yeah. Um, he'll be looking for someone specifically. And when you later, you'll naturally at least be drawn to wanting to return there as soon as you get the Goron mask and then talking to him, just because at least the game will have taught you from Woodfall that you want to be in certain forms at certain times for communicating with people. Yes. And so you'll be tipped off. He's like, hey, where's where's my dad? And at some point on your way back and forth, you will have at least picked up on either a bigger snow boulder or sometimes, I think it'd be, I think even a 3D remake, I think at either night, I think at night or what it is, sometimes he's not even in the boulder. He's just- uh, It's just he's frozen. Just, He's just frozen, um, yeah. and you and you find him. But usually, like usually, Tattle's good about highlighting that's the uh, snow boulder. Um, if you come yeah, by, yeah, I think like that's it. 
that section is nice. It feels open, but it also feels pretty airtight to me. And it's yeah. like, I don't know. I feel like those story sections, in order to work, they have to they have to really keep you in it, so that you don't sort of notice the level of which it's static compared to the Clock Town stuff. Yeah, that's exactly. kind of my thing. And yeah, because Great Bay is so open. I feel like you really notice it because it feels like, and especially like the Zora area feels in comparison to like the Gorons because it it's like, oh, well, he's sad and like there's all these other things going on and like it's cold and like it, there's a blizzard. So it doesn't feel like a place where a lot should be going on anyways. Yeah, exactly. But because of the band, it, it's also like, where is, um, do you, does the band manager show up anywhere other than the office? Um, and like what, he's in, um, oh, I guess he's always in, um, he's always in the milk bar, uh, the band um, manager. Oh, uh, Toto. Yeah. I think he's always, cause he, he goes out to, yeah, the day one he shows up to, um, yeah. And oh, then he's gosh, always, computer name, Madam, uh, Aroma, uh, Aroma. That's it. Sorry, I was thinking. Of, I was thinking of the mayor's name, and then trying to think of his last name, and then thinking. Good, like, Wait a well, second. good on you for remembering the mayor's name because I don't. <laughs> um, I, but I yes, don't he. Know. I guess he's always in the milk bar, so it's unfair of me. And he's always doing that side quest, so it's like eh, you shouldn't expect him back. But it, I don't know. It feels. It feels like he's a missing piece. Yeah. So I don't I, yeah, know. I kind of wish he almost came back later or something like that. Maybe like day yeah, or like on the two third day third that day. he because there's it's also like why is he in Clockdown? <laughs> yeah, like all three days to tell yeah, like hey it this isn't make any sense. <laughs> just to, just to let him know hey this isn't gonna work out like all three days I guess. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of of the mindset that he should go back after yeah like the third day he he doesn't need to be there every day. Um, yeah, man, yeah. Great Bay is the worst yeah it's just weird but it's like well even in our history of playing the game um great bay is absolutely where i got stopped up every time um every time we played it like getting to skip getting the hook shot and skipping to Akana valley was always something oh i i made to do because i was just like hey at least this is more like well it's creepier it's more interesting um and there's like kind of more initiative for well it's just like getting the eggs kind of sucks it does. It's, it's not, not really fun. It, and it's, it pushes, it's silly. It's it, silly. It is it's silly and it also pushes the the already kind of F bottle system to like its limits and it's and it's, just, like, it's just like no cool. reason for it to be that way. We'll have six like they have a key item like they introduced the key item system in this game. Like they specifically have dedicated slots for it. And I get like, oh you gotta preserve the eggs and water. Like sure, I guess, but but like whatever. I don't know. It doesn't they, need to it doesn't need to be made more I don't know. That section just kind of feels like padding. And it's kind of a bummer because when you first get there, I was like, oh, this is so cool. Because it's really large. And yeah. it feels more natural than and anything Pirates Fortress in Ocarina is awesome. of Time. Yeah. I mean it's cool. Like it all looks great and it the way the geography works is really awesome. It's just like it kind of feels like this open area where you're like expecting more and then just kind of you're like oh and i'm gonna go see the zoras and this is so cool and it's just kind of (laughs) not yeah the (laughs) first half has more kind of intentionality and it's design the way that everything is set up like the way that woodfall the the entire like river the river pass with the boat kind of circles around the entire 
mountain. Yeah, they just swap have such thing. great through lines, and they're so good at keeping you like motivated and keeping you going through the story. And yeah. I think like I think the thing that hurts me about Great Bay, maybe my least favorite thing about it, is the way that you get the Zora mask. I think is kind of emblematic of my issues with the area because. Mm-hmm. It's just sort of given to you. And that's your introduction to these people is through um, Mikau? Yeah, Mikau. 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 Yeah. Um, So your introduction, Mikau, I think. Is that a Tails character? Whatever. Anyway, so he's. Oh, Mikhail, maybe. No, nope, I'm thinking of Xenoblade Chronicles 2. I don't know. (laughs) Getting off base. Um, (laughs) But that's that's your introduction to the world is through him. But you have no real context to go off of. It's just Azora in the water, and he tells you his story explicitly in that way. But you have no lead up to it. And the way with like Darunia, it's great because you have enough time to kind of see what's going on, figure it out. And like you can kind of already know his story before you even get to that point. And when you go and get the lens of truth and then you come out, you see him. Like, it's all just, it works. And you follow yeah. him up and there's the anticipation of wondering where this is going and knowing you're going to get a mask, but also wanting to talk to him and get the full story. So there's just so much more to it. And I feel like with Mikau, it's just like, literally, you meet him, you pull him out of the water and he tells you a story and he's dead. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, and then okay, he's, he's dead. Great. Yeah, and I don't know. And then you if they... go and meet everyone, and Lulu doesn't say, and like you get that there's a problem. Yeah. But, I but don't it's know. not, I don't know, a blizzard is a pretty imperative thing for sure. Like just saying that the water is really warm, which I mean, I guess like the implications are definitely not good. The pirates don't really intersect with the Zoros in as much as like there isn't that kind of. You never see like... them individually interact with each other. Yeah, like there's yeah, like there's actual like intersecting issues going on. It would on be you know what would have been really cool. What I think would have made the whole area probably work is if you had pirates like patrolling all the time in the ocean and you had to Yeah. Even if you just talk to them, if you talk to them as regular link, if maybe they would leave you alone. But if you were Azora, Maybe they would, like, come after you or something. I don't know. I think that's just, like, one simple thing. Because you don't see them until you go to the fortress and you're just given a lot in, like... I don't know. It's one of those areas where I think too much is given through exposition. Yeah. Or, like, what if they what if they kind of pulled an ocarina of time on you? They capture you. They throw you in jail. And then that's going to be how you get a lead up into finding Macau in that sense. Yeah, I don't know, something, it would have been cool like if that. you came in and you started at the Pirate's Fortress and then, like, you found him and he was like, you gotta get me out of here, or like, yeah, I'm dying, or like, you gotta save her eggs, or whatnot. It might have been kind of intense for, like, the time mechanics in Medora's Mask, because just kind of to suddenly be like, hey, surprise, because the game doesn't, pretty much never does that to you otherwise. But I think at least... To have mixed up in some way that you know that's just it's just thinking about it like that is kind of an issue with it that that there isn't any kind of lead up because that's what i mean that's really what makes yeah or if it was such an issue just like wherever you get thrown into just like put an owl statue there and like make it easy to get out out but like let that be i don't know yeah like but- even even starting out with the 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 deku mask they retroactively 
read like connect the pieces to it to finding out like okay if the other two are spirits of dead like people who really existed who was this and then that gets i mean oh that, my gosh, that gets hooked so, back to the ending it's so brilliant it's, it's really good awesome they it's really so thought smart. that out it's yeah. so good so like i like in that respect even even that which like you don't get that you don't get that kind of lead up at all um i mean honestly you have to start thinking about how the transitive property of how that even got put onto link when he didn't even i don't know but like i like i never i just i don't even think about that that much even just the fact that they they think about that like they're like hey this stump and it's like no that's actually and that's that it leaves it actually it leaves a bit of mystery in a way that's like it's not doesn't feel um empty or faulty it actually like it it hooks really really well and the fact that they do it in such a way yeah it gives you just enough but it also lets you have an imagination you know i think yeah here's something i don't know kind of interesting about what ties every area together every like story instance is and i guess even great bay is technically they're all consumed with themes of family which is really interesting so you have like the Deku princess and her dad and the drama there with the monkey and you've got to save this monkey from being dipped in oil, which is also like, woof. Like, yeah, at least he like starts springing back to life. So they're like, he's not dead, but he's, he's, he's not dead. dead, but he, he doesn't dead. look, he doesn't look. He doesn't yeah, look he good. doesn't say anything. It's a little, it's intense. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> yeah. so you have that and that sort of family drama and then yeah. and you're connected to it by, you know, saving and then you also have the butler, though. You have the butler and his son and, like, that little yeah. bit of drama. And then with the Gorons, I don't understand how that ancient Goron has a kid, but I'm just going to run with it. That's his son. Weird. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, we never think about it. Yeah, don't think about it. <laughs> Her Breath of the Wild comes along and we're still like, okay, mm, not thinking about it. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> um Okay, well, the ancient rock has a baby rock, but that means something because it's about passing certain things down. And it's you show up in this community and you don the appearance of like their hero and you have a connection to all of these people and like you've given them life and you take away the blizzard and do all these things and you, you know, and it's you're correcting the mistakes and the failures of this hero that couldn't save them. And then you go and do it like in his stead and it feels very connected and you have a connection with these people and, and Ikana, you have, you know, the key drama with the father and the daughter, and that's really heartwarming and interesting. And then there's just sort of the lore of like this old kingdom and the connection between these spirits and there's enough going on. And I guess Great Bay technically does have that theme. And that's where it falls apart for me because you would think that like the Zora eggs would play a bigger part in the story than just teaching you a song. <laughs> that there would be some sort of connection there. And it just kind of kills Lulu's character for me because she never... Then it gets wrapped up into her duty as I guess like protecting the temple. But that doesn't... I don't understand. What is Great Bay Temple? What is it there for? Yeah. What is her duty? Because that's not, that's such a Ocarina of Time sort of theme of like sages. But that doesn't show up anywhere else in the game. Like they have yeah. these temples and whatnot, but it's like Deku Princess like goes to explore with the monkey and she gets trapped, whatever. Like she was playing in a bad place. And like 
you got to go stop the blizzard at Snowhead Temple. But it's not like you're the temple's guardian. You just, like, got to go stop the weirdness that's going on. And, like, yeah, in Ikona, you got to go stop the spirits. But it's not like you meet the guardian of the temple, you know? So it's just, like, where does that come from? Because it doesn't... I don't know. It's not... See- yeah. Anyways, yeah, I know. I know that I keep harping on it. But everything in this game is so airtight. And it's tough because... It, it, there's only four... There's only four dungeons, so if one area of the game isn't working for me, (laughs) you know, that's a quarter of the game. And yeah, so that's why I love it. It's hard for me when I get to Great Bay because it's like, it just feels weird. It feels empty, but big. And it's just, it doesn't have that little extra that everything else in the game has. So anyways, that's, yeah, should probably move on. (laughs) um (laughs) yeah um i guess before moving on i won't we'll get more into design here in a second but i I still at least at this point because we've talked more about the the four areas of the game which are which are critical pieces of the game uh i think the the cornerstone that really at the end of the day like even coming off to the second half of the game when i end up doing some of the the bigger quests well namely uh cafe and anju uh, late game uh it's just the so much of the the detail that gets poured into clock town has never really uh faded or like lost its luster in my eyes it's still utterly amazing as to just how how carefully done the system was i mean largely because the the time the you know the time cycle system and the bomber's notebook were primarily designed for the people in clock town i mean that's how it was originally before they added more people that necessarily, you know, they weren't necessarily restricted like that, but um, the ones that matter at least, uh, there's so much, so much of what helps it come to life is how much intersecting of different characters' paths there are. They aren't just isolated, like most of them aren't just isolated characters. They have some type of interact, like some kind of interfacing with other characters, even if it's just in small ways. Yeah. It's what, it's you what breathes life You could spend a whole cycle it. following around the mailman. Yeah, and find exactly. New things that you didn't realize. Oh yeah, and it's and it's awesome. It's awesome. I mean, just the the one detail that I loved was putting a letter in a specific mailbox, um, and then seeing when he actually took it out, he actually had the the le- that letter, the exact letter in his hand. I was like, well, that's cool. <laughs> like, I, that's that's awesome. Like, they didn't just kind of coast over that. They actually made sure. That when you picked out that letter, like you had an effect on that. Like that's just, I don't know. When the 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 absolute shining parts of Majora's Mask have so much to do with the game responding accordingly with characters who are in that system. So like so much of the Cafe and Anju quest, what makes it so good, um, even if it's it can be kind of hard, sometimes kind of even tedious. It's just the like even just your own failures to do what you're supposed to do um, elicits so many different outcomes. As yeah. a result. And you learn, I don't know, this is a game where like I created instances of failure to see what all of the other options were and what would yeah. happen. And Romani Ranch is also just like so good in that way. Like it's yeah. very brilliant. And Yoshiaki Koizumi, man, he is really good at making video games because like he all is. the events and Clock Town and like, and like that's all him. And and they, from what I've read about the development, it was very, especially because this, so much of the team 
I think 70% of the team ended up, by the time they were done, was Ocarina people. And so the way they kind of did it is that they just kind of was like, all right, you're doing that, you're doing that, and go do their your, your things and then bring them back. And maybe that's one of the things. And because everyone kind of just had to work on their piece of the project and then bring it to the table and then take it, it just kind of feels like Koizumi stuff is operating on a different level of being <laughs> just like airtight and so strong. And maybe that's part because he didn't have a hand in, you know, the sections, you know, in the cardinal directions. Like it's not like he wasn't designing those instances of um, with Lulu. <laughs> yeah. With the other characters. And and I think that's just the thing is that in his side quests, there is a reaction for every sort of outcome to the point where you want to see all those other outcomes and then you're not really rewarded in the same way in the rest of the game. Yeah. Uh, so there feels like this weird divide between story section, must advance game and side quests. And the side quests have so much more intricacies and life to them. And I think that's just because like the way it was handled and maybe if they had more time or were able to sort of bring it together and then go through it. Or if he was just like the hardcore director and was like, everything is going to be, and and I won't harp <laughs> on the game too much because they did it in a year, which is insane. But I think that might be a reason that we see sort of that divide is that like these portions of the game were literally being directed by like different people. Yeah. I mean, the fact that it was his idea being proposed on the, yeah, the and I don't think cycle. there could be that much meshing of ideas, like with how much time they had working things out in Ocarina of Time, that they meshed ideas at the beginning. But as the game was going on, I don't think there wasn't really a freedom that they had was yeah, to be like, to, oh, you're doing something really cool over there. I'm going to mix and match. So, I mean, that's probably also why you see and like those interactions being really confined to Clock Town is because he could create his own loop of, of like activity coming through and didn't have to like, you know, I'm sure some of these other things were in flux. So it was like, oh, well, what even is the story going to be in Ikena Valley? I don't know. <laughs> like, Yeah. Um, like he might have, he might have at least as a scenario writer, might have played some part into the grander like themes and in some respects. I, I mean, cause just because, I mean, you think of Link's Awakening and compare and it definitely seems so. Yeah, and the moon and like certain, but I don't think when it comes to like the specificity of how those things ended up, that he probably didn't have any time to cross over as long as like characters knew who each other were and that stuff was ironed out. But when it came to like the three day cycle, really interacting with those parts, I just think there was something that they just, it wasn't really on the table for them, but. Yeah. So moving on to presentation, I think one of the biggest aspects of this is that uh, this was one of the few games to require uh, the four megabyte, four megabyte expansion pack. Yeah, that's right. The only one of the only two games yes. that required it. Yeah. And this game kind of gets lofted up in Ocarina of like, oh my gosh, it looks so much better. But I think it's a good, you know, it's good to start out with that fact that they were working with more tools in this case. Um, yeah. It allowed for... Uh, better draw distance, um, better lighting effects. They had motion blur, different types of textures were a little bit better. Um, and then it's just like, it, it is wild to think about all of these characters rolling around and like 
all of these things having to be managed and memorized by the game. It's pretty crazy. So I think that's a big part of the presentation is just like, it looks better and this is why. And yes, they were able to do more with the from the art direction standpoint. They really went for it in this game, but they also, they definitely had some more stuff to work with and you can really see it in some of the textures. For me, uh, the moon and then also like, you know, Astral Observatory. It's just so great. It's really weird uh, and couldn't really be recreated in a modern way that makes any sense, but it looks great. <laughs> I, I miss my rainbow staircase. I have rainbow staircase. <laughs> so good. Uh, yeah, I I love, even just looking at the original game, I, well, especially well, like when we were running it back in the day, um, I always, as soon as you you walked through the gate that then closes behind you as you go into the into clock tower, the that motion blur effect. Oh, it's um, so good. Just it makes it such a. I mean, it really is plays such a huge part in the otherworldly, surreal feel of this game. Uh, just just the motion blur alone, but even just the the vibrant colors, especially, um, to play such a big part in that. They really utilize everything really really well to to kind of accomplish what they're going for with it. Uh, but the motion blur especially like in the few places it's used. I, I love it. I love the kind of like, it's just weird. Like it's not to say like the game's aged visually well, but just the, the choice and use of the expanded memory has helped. Like even with the 3DS remake, it's kind of helped give it a style that's not just old crusty N64 game. Yes, it's a rare N64 game that features color, but it's not yeah. that flat color of mario no, 64 it, it's really got yeah. nice shaders Sh- you know not shaders but you know it's, it's got Just nice like depth gr- to gradients it. depth the color yeah 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 exactly almost a sort oh, of shininess that reminds you of sort of i don't know that was like a big thing on the wii that i remember with like mario galaxy is like oh it's shiny yeah they got so, the specular well, lighting so everywhere good. so it, <laughs> it, it kind of has that for me too yeah, it also helps that the game was published in 2000. <laughs> yeah. Along alongside in that same year, uh Kirby 64 and Paper Mario, which are both games that I mean even for being at 64 games still look like they their their style holds better over their technical finesse uh these days. They're they're still really charming games to look at. So Majora's Mask might not be as technically well, I'm not going to say not technically impressive because it is. Um it might not stylistically hold up as well just cuz the polygons but I mean, otherwise, it's still. I mean, I I put it up when I think about like late N sixty four. I always think about those three games and the fact that they look they look really really good. Yeah, for and what it's they are. definitely a step up. It definitely sh- they pushed it to what it could do. You don't have any weird pre rendered background stuff like you've always, you know, got the full camera going at all times. And Link's model, it's such a small thing, but it is such an upgrade. Like. <laughs> Yeah, it's so yeah I don't better. know what it is. There's like they, there's small things to flesh it out. I know the one thing that I always remember this. They added the um, it's the the shield buckle I think that goes across his chest. Yes, that wasn't there originally. I think for either adult or young Link in Ocarina. Yes, you're right. It wasn't there for your adult Link either. And he's got the he's got got like more varied kind of colors to kind of really make make it look less flat. His model's a little bit more updated. So it's just I know like. I, it feels weirdly appropriate that like even though he's only like maybe two months older in this game, I believe it's the story only kicks off like it's like two months after um, the the change to his voice samples. He just has a couple like, you know, he's yeah, the same voice actor came or actress came back to 
you know, revoice and redo some of the lines to make them sound a bit more mature. And then just between like the, the model upgrade and everything else, it really, um, he's one of my favorite, in my, one of my, one of the ways, like one of my favorite links, just because of the challenge he goes up against. Um, but also just all the collective, like aesthetic things that come together yeah. with it. Well, it's like the shield update is so nice. The sword update is so nice. Oh, yeah. And then also like you get it from the very beginning when you get to like flip on the trees, you're like, Oh, Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> so you're you're kind of like, wow. Okay. I guess if you became an adult and saved the world and then was warped back in time, you'd still be pretty experienced. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He has so. a level. He does not. I don't know. It's really subtle, but he does not feel like childling from Ocarina of Time. Yeah. He definitely feels older. He feels very in command. Yeah, even playing the 3DS remakes where it's like, nope, he's still a plank of wood in Ocarina. Going to play Majora's Mask, and it's some of it is, yeah, like the, the new animations in particular, some of his like reactions to things. It just, um, I don't know, it feels, it just, it, it works really, really well in kind of conveying that sense that like this isn't, like it's the same Link, but it's not the same Link in a sense. He's been significantly changed by experience, even if his like his interactions is still, you know, he's silent protagonist. It's just, I don't know, there's a lot of subtlety that goes into that. And I, um, I mean, just from a presentation standpoint, it's, it's impressive. Oh, let's, uh, music. Yes. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yes. Oh, so, uh, I'll just up front. It's without question, my favorite Zelda soundtrack of all time just going into the details itself, we have Toru Minigishi uh, accompanying uh, Koji Kondo here. And I thought, oh, okay, maybe that plays part in such a, like why the soundtrack is the way it is. And then I looked it up and I was like, nope, he made three battle themes, um, which I'm going to assume is the regular, the mini boss and the main battle theme, the boss battle theme, um, which are all really good. They're actually, they're actually legitimately really, really good. I think they're a lot better than Ocarina's in all honesty. But the entirety of the soundtrack is otherwise owed to Koji Kondo, which when you think about what the, the feat of going to a 3D game and then having to like, compose and build a soundtrack around the pacing and the atmosphere of a 3D game, you th- and then which is already astounding and along with everything else you did, like the dynamic, dynamic music. Um, and then you move to Majora's Mask where you have a fundamentally unusual premise that has pretty much never been seen again. And now you have to compose this surrealist soundtrack that all that almost constantly conveys a sense of melancholy. And there, there is just nothing that Kondo cannot do, it seems. It is utterly amazing at how perfectly he is honed in on his ability to nail atmosphere from Ocarina and then just so perfectly encapsulated the themes of Majora's Mask. Uh, just within some of the most critical pieces in the game. Yeah, and to do it so quickly. Yeah. And it's very, I don't know, I think the utilization of music is very smart. Like, the Clock Town theme is able to be tweaked and reused, and then, like, the... I don't know what the name of the theme is when you first go to areas, and they're not good. Yeah, I always call them like the cursed area themes. There's probably like a name for them, but yeah, I like that. I'll go. I'll ride with that. Yeah. Uh, they're all the same, <laughs> but they're all different. I especially love uh, Ikena Valley's. It's like I don't know. It feels different than all the other ones. Whereas yeah. I could maybe mistake in my head 
like in my memory, Great Bay and Woodfall, maybe. Like that one is just like, it's really on it. And like all the music in that area. I don't know. It's very, there, there are some really humble tunes that like I don't forget, like Astral Observatory. And then my personal favorite might be Milk Bar. I don't know. Oh, it's Milk so Bar fun. Is so good. I love, especially on the third day, I just hang out. And it's, yes. It's, and it's, it's really wonderful. inspired too. I don't know. There's little moments that you get, and you get that in uh, the mayor's office too. I don't know. It's very strong. Big yeah. Thing. And then uh, just um, following up on the the dungeon themes, especially, uh, they're they're in the same vein as Ocarina. I mean, I would say they're pretty much just as good as well. Um, maybe I could even make the push for a little. Well, I mean, everyone everyone and their mother always talks about Stone Tower Temple, which is fair. I will I will I will certainly stand by that. That it's awesome. It's a great great theme. Definitely the most memorable of the three or the four. Um. I just, uh, the atmosphere of Snowhead in Great Bay, especially just the, the, it's a lot of the set, like the, the background noise that goes into both like the dungeon itself. Like you almost can't listen to those songs in isolation. You have to hear them in the context of their dungeon to kind of get. Yeah. The sound design. Does. I mean, I think Zelda sound design has always been one of its sort of underrated things. It's not just what it does with music. It's what it does with the collection of sounds and the life it gives to everything, you know, and nighttime is always a great example of that. And you really see that here. And like the, it's almost like the music is being created with the sounds that you would find in the areas. And it's yeah. like the sort of music one makes in their own head when they're hearing like pipes being hit and like the rushing of currents. And it's really interesting. My favorite thing about the Stone Tower theme is that when it flips, you get a different one. <laughs> and it really fits with the rest of the game. And I was really surprised playing it this time by that. And I just sat and listened to it and I was like, wow, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, even things um, like just, uh, I think one of my favorite pieces of atmosphere in the game is just being, uh, is being inside well, there's two things. One, that's it's more just a fun fact I want to I want to mention anyway. I love when you're in a, when you're in like certain shops. I love that it sounds like they kind of they took the same songs from Ocarina, but it almost sounds like they're playing out through a PA speaker almost. Oh yeah, I, oh, you're I right. love. There's like a little bit of a filter in it to make it sound like it's actually like playing in the store itself. It's not just a song that just exists in the sphere of the game. I, I don't know. I really, I always love that little detail because it helped. It, I mean, it helps distinguish it more from Ocarina, but it really feels like, especially in Clock Town, where the whole design is meant to be for like tourists, for people to come and join in the town and to enjoy things. I, I always liked that, that like the little shops that you would just, you would, um, I think with the exception of the curiosity shop, which I guess kind of makes sense too. I don't know why you would play spooky, mysterious music <laughs> in your shop for weird collector's items, but, um, even just in the shops, I like I like that that's just uh, an aspect to it. It's really really cool. So and then just that mixed with the lack of a fixed camera too, it just kind of makes these spaces more alive. So even if it's just really simple shops that you might not come into very often, um, I love that detail. But the the other piece of atmosphere um, that has no music at all is just when you're in uh, the stockpot inn at night, 
and just the pure and just the dead silence. The fact that like everyone's like the fact that it is a lively town and that everyone is asleep. The most you hear is your footsteps. If you go near the, uh, you know, near the front of the inn, you of course uh, you hear the the clock itself turning, which is such a, a sublime piece of sound design right there. That alone is amazing. Um, and then you go into of course the the actual the kitchen itself, and you just <laughs> you hear the 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 boiler just cooking constantly as well. Just just all of that as you're kind of shuffling around and then kind of going in like back and forth in between uh, rooms just just for fun. I don't know. I just I love being in that that space like yeah. that. There's so much detail to it. It's just I don't know. It's really it's very rich and it's very fun to walk around in and explore. Um, and of course, we can't go without mentioning uh, your favorite piece. I think, right, the theme that oh. plays in the last six hours. Yeah, the last, the last hour. Um, <laughs> man, there, there is very little. Um, just for sake of referencing it, I'll mention it because it's also just because the collective soundtrack is what makes it so good. Um, there's very little. Like, there's a lot of like great, astounding, like amazing music out there. Uh, for sure, and some that do- definitely makes me feel things. Um, like Xenoblade Chronicles 2, like Xenoblade Chronicles 2's collective soundtrack and the way it uses motifs, for example, is an amazing example. Is just is beautiful. But la- the last hour, on its own, combined with all the elements it put into place, um, every time I, I go back to Majora's Mask, if I, especially especially here where I deliberately gave myself a lot of time between the last playthrough and now um it just gives me chills it's amazing there's always every time i listen to it i'm like okay i got listen to that loop no, no more it's like no, but just, just one more loop because i always that first um i don't i don't think it's a refrain it's just the it's just the the way it progresses and just feels immensely sad it's like usually you'd think oh well the moon's crashing so it's a panic and it's like well Kind of, but they don't. The, the thing is, they don't go for the obvious. Kondo didn't go for the obvious trick of making it a panic. They they make it incredibly sad, um, and there's just like a a palpable sense of inevitability, in like combined with melancholy and and immense sadness with it. That um, I I do not have the adequate words to describe. I I love it. I love this piece. It is without question my favorite piece. And a game and probably close to one of my favorite pieces of music in in Zelda, period. I totally agree. And I'm kind of going into a similar note about presentation to start the discussion on what this game draws from previous entries and how it tweaks that. And I think, I don't know why this is what kind of captures me with the game, but it is. So I want to talk about environmental design in this game and... I guess how it sort of creates this feeling because you kind of look at this game with Ocarina and I don't really say one is better than the other. And my discussion of how they are different is less like what should Zelda be? And it's more just like looking at all these similar elements and seeing how little tweaks here and there can so drastically change the feeling of a game. And so with Ocarina of Time for me, it's kind of comfort food. It, and the 
the makers of the game themselves talked about the hospitality of that game, that it would kind of attack you, but it was very friendly to you. And there's something about the way that that environment feels that makes me nostalgic because it was like, you know, my first Zelda game or whatever. But the way the areas connect in that game, it feels very gamey to me. It's, you know, the field is small and it's not really a world that makes sense, but yet it feels very connected stylistically. Like Death Mountain feels very connected to Kakariko Village, even if Death Mountain doesn't feel like a plausible geographic location in the way that it's designed. And like Lake Hilo feels very continuous with like Zora's domain. They all really fit together outside of maybe like Gerudo Valley kind of being, you know, off, but I can still believe it. I don't know. You cross over a bridge. Like it feels like you really go on a trek to get all the way to the Colossus. And so there's sort of this greenery, this sort of overarching design and color to the game. And you especially feel that I think it's helpful to play the remake because you can kind of see with more clarity what the game world looks like and how they've sort of created it. Whereas in the original, it's like, I don't know, it's kind of just some walls and like, are they trees? You don't really know. And so when you see it sort of created in 3D more accurately, I I imagine it as this big green space with like weird hill rocks that don't really make sense. But it all comes together and it makes sense to me. And Majora's Mask is so curious because to me, Terminus Field doesn't really make any sense, even though it's really not that different. And I think it's the it's the directions, it's <laughs> it's kind of like the joke of various games where you feel like there's lands and it's like, we've got the snow place and the desert place, and it doesn't make any sense <laughs> from like how <laughs> that geographically would ever work. Yeah. And so I think that's kind of the thing I get caught on with Majora's Mask is you step out of Clocktown, you're like, oh, it's snowing over there and there's some sand and the sand immediately turns into ice and then it turns into grass and then it turns into <laughs> dirt. So it's like you walk out of Clocktown and you're like, I'm in a hope world. Which direction am I going to go? And so it kind of stands in as a symbol for like what the world should actually be. But it doesn't really make sense because then like Clocktown is such a huge part of it. And the moon falls and it's, I don't know. I, 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 my brain trips on it more than does it really make sense that you walked out of a tunnel of trees and you look out and there's the castle? No, but for some reason I'm able to buy it more. But the thing with Majora's Mask for me is when you get into each area, how they feel, you feel the scope of the world. When yeah. you go and like climb up on the roof of Romani Ranch and you look out, it feels, you can see Snowhead in the distance. Snowhead is, you know, it looks like hundreds of miles away. It looks very far away. It does not have the scale of, say, Death Mountain's relationship to other parts in Ocarina of Time, where those things feel very close together. It yeah. doesn't feel symbolic of the closeness. It literally feels like, no, Death Mountain, like, Kakarua Village really is half a mile away from Castletown. <laughs> Yeah. And you just believe that that's the world of the game. And Termina feels very symbolic in the way that it spreads out its space. And when you go through like Milk Road or even, and this was one of the things, it's just interesting to see the difference in direction of the remakes. 
And that was one of the things that captured me. I played the remake um, this time around because I did because it's what I own. It's cheaper. It's easier. And I like it and I'm fine with it. <laughs> um, and because I play the prettier version. Um, and one of the things I thought was really interesting was that when you go to the swamp, the way that the trees, there's real foliage. It's not just tree wall. It's like yeah. they created bushes. And when you go to Milk Road and you come out, like you see the tree line, there's a sense of traveling. There's a sense of place. It kind of falls apart in Terminative Field itself, but when you go to each area, it feels like you're miles and miles away from Clocktown. And the geography of those areas feels way more airtight. Like Snowhead feels connected in a way that is plausible. And so, I don't know. I I just think it's kind of a step up and it feels, it's a step up and it's a weird step back. And it's <laughs> interesting to wrap my head around where it's like, it's better, but it doesn't feel like Hyrule where Hyrule feels like Hyrule and it's all connected and it makes sense. Yeah. But each individual area feels really plausible. And then this is just a small thing, kind of on a similar note of like, one of the things that I thought was very cool is, um, and this goes for the remake and I goes for uh, the original as well. You will see the tower go up like anywhere as long as you can see the tower. So if you're in, yeah. and it doesn't trigger like the cutscene where you just see the cutscene, then you pop out and then the tower's up. No, I mean like in real time. From wherever you are, you will see the tower come up and you will see it drop down and you will see the fireworks go off. And it won't pause, the, like it will just happen. It's really, really cool. And when it happened, when I realized that in the remake, if you go anywhere else in Clocktown, like not the main clock tower part, and you look up, you can see the clock tower from anywhere. And the same thing will happen. And it won't just cut to the cutscene. This might be different in the first cycle. I don't remember. I tested it out and tested it out in a myriad of ways. So I don't fully remember. I think the first time it always triggers the cutscene. But other than that, otherwise you just see it drop down. And it blew my mind. And I was like, there's no way they did this on the N64. Because this feels <laughs> so live. I was like, there's no way. And when I went and saw it on the N64, I was honestly blown away that that was something that they thought to do. It just feels like one of those things that like, Oh, yeah, there were so many points playing this game where I was like, I'm going to get them. I bet they didn't think about this. I bet <laughs> that they didn't account for this. And then they did. And you're like, oh, how? And that was one of those things where I'm like, yeah, well, what happens if I am in terms of field when the clock tower comes down? What then? And it was like, got me. Got <laughs> That's pretty cool. Got him. Anyway, so <laughs> I don't know. That's my big spiel about the game. I don't really have huge insightful thoughts and like oh side quest versus the adventure i think both are valid and interesting and cool it was just like for some reason it's the construction of the world that's like one of my weird hang-ups the geography has been designed so differently it's yeah. really interesting <laughs> i think um I guess the first thing the first thoughts that come to my mind is thinking about the element of exploration being woven into the series uh, especially like thinking about Ocarina and the kind of focus and the way it's like, well, how does this game, how does this game feel compelling? Like, how does it compel you to explore, even though it's a more linear, more structured game 
than a link to the past for the most part. Like how, how does it do that, that it makes you still feel like you're exploring a world instead of just running through a linear sequence of events? Um, a lot of that has to do with, you know, you being told, oh, get the spiritual stones. But when you get to an area, it's never that simple. And the question of actually exploring has to do with both inquiring about people, but just simply looking around and trying things out. Uh, Majora's Mask takes the people aspect of that and simply makes that like 70% of the game and just makes that the core the core piece of it. And so even though it's like, oh, we don't have like that big of a world to explore. And yet at the same time, the very fact that what makes like uncovering Termina on the whole has more to do with understanding like the depth and um, interactivity of Clock Town itself, as well as all the different aspects to each of the four areas. I think what's really, what's amazing about how they, I, I don't know, I, I always have to wonder like during the development process, like are they thinking, they, they have to be thinking about what makes Zelda Zelda at the end of the day. Like are they, and is this like, they're like, yeah, the player is going to explore in this manner and that's how they commit to. Like, I don't even understand how they came to the direction that, like that that's how, like, because this could have just been a game that could have been, I mean, at least like Zelda 2, but better. It just <laughs> been like, it could, it could have been a really weird game that may have just used Ocarina of Time's engine and then for the most part, not really had anything to do with using it. Um, I mean, it still, I mean, it still does as far as like the core gameplay goes. You know, it's a lot of the, the dungeons are built on the same kind of foundations, but they kind of take bigger steps towards more central, like centerpieces that kind of affect the whole environment. But just thinking like, how how do you take the theme of exploration, something that's already fundamentally changed, just going from Zelda 1 to Link to the Past, and then again, from there to Link's Awakening, then again to Ocarina, like how how are you like conveying? And I suppose with uh, Koizumi at the hand, it makes sense that this character-driven sense of exploration becomes such a strong focus. And I imagine that's something that they had to have Oh, I mean, I mean, almost imperative that they chose early on uh, simply because it's like, well, we're not going to be able to build a big world for the player to explore. We really don't have, we don't, we can't do that. <laughs> we do not have time to do that. And so that, like, this is probably the place, the biggest place that this game could have been a colossal disaster in is simply not knowing how to, how to keep the spirit of Zelda while doing it. maybe not a disaster, but simply would have been more. I mean, you know, it's already alienating just because so much of it remains difficult for what it is, uh, or just kind of hard to get into, and also just you know because the time mechanic is something that you you either are going to be okay with or you're not going to be okay with, and so it's how how especially with that with so many different things kind of woven together in such a way that seems like they'd be conflicting with each other. How in the world do you do you really channel? that draw of exploration in the game. And so I I think that that it's been executed so well um, and so thoroughly, at least as far as Clock Town is concerned. And at least, I mean, I would say even for the Cardinal areas not being as involved in in the the time mechanic as much. I mean, they, they are, but like not, not as like thoroughly. I mean, I, th I still think that the sense of exploration is still, like you're drawn to these areas and the time mechanic does at least play a piece in really feeling like you have to make the most of your time out when you're there, but it also makes it feel like the areas are kind of slipping away from you in a sense that you don't get to, you don't get to just hang around the whole time. Like you could hang around like, like Hylia and uh, Ocarina of Time. 
it's very it's very different in that respect. So these areas don't have that same sense of kind of permanence etched into your mind because I mean because they quite literally they're temporal. You don't you don't get to you don't even get to experience them in their in their like healthy good state for very long either. Yeah. And so um, I think so much of that it could to 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 you know to the kind of somewhat justified chagrin of others. Um, but I mean for for people like me, it just kind of it always makes me yearn and want to come back and understand and, and, and comb these areas more because the time I get with them is so fleeting. Uh, and I think that really, it is, that is a kind of more, it's going to be, a, that's going to be a definitely a come down to taste on it, but it's something that on top of clock time, which is already a, just a masterwork in, in what they did with it. Uh, I think conveying that theme of exploration, how it does it. And it does it in such a unique way that, again is probably and just in design is is like on like an edge of veering off and becoming very unlike zelda that it's amazing that it still feels like a zelda game at the end of the day so i think one of the things that is interesting comparing between majora's mask and ocarina of time is like the way that it feels to leave clock town for the first time versus the way that it feels to leave like Kokiri Forest for the first time. And you have like these opening areas that sort of lock you in for very different reasons. And then you finally are able to like get out into the world. And with stepping out in Hyrule Field, I mean, yes, part of it is nostalgic, but I even think just removing that and like looking at it, that moment, the theme is just different. The way that Hyrule Field feels so triumphant and you know, you're out there versus, you know, Terminal Field, which is just kind of like very, you know, uneasy and very, it's just very fast paced and, and whatnot. And it feels in a different way when you leave Kokiri Forest that you have that sort of end goal in the distance. You're like, I'm going to Hyrule Castle. I'm out on sort of this journey, this sort of adventure. You've been given this task by the old tree. And with Majora's Mask, it's more like you're just trying to uncover what's happening and find a way to get right. And you don't really know what's gonna await you. All you know is, hey, like, this is the first direction that my brother said, so maybe we should go there. And you're like, okay, sure. <laughs> but I think also like a crucial thing is like, when you leave Kokiri Forest, you have that intrinsic sense. It's like, it's like leaving the Shire. You're like, all right, that's my hometown and I'm going off on a journey and I'm not gonna find my way back there anytime soon. It's the place where I'm from and now I'm stepping out into something new. And it, you come out of this tunnel and it's this little narrow pathway and you see the owl and then it's like, boom, here are all these places that you can go. And it's actually different from Majora's Mask, a game which I always feel is very open and non-linear really actually isn't. When you step out into Terminative Field, you really only have one option. When you step out into Hyrule Field, you can go almost anywhere. And so it's very boundless in that way. But the thing that's really curious about Majora's Mask is that Clock Town is one of the very few areas in all the series, at least outside of 2D games, which sometimes let you snake around and enter areas. Entering areas in 2D games just has a different, in an overhead you know, top-down perspective is just a different feeling. Clocktown is one of the very few places in 3D Zelda, and like the only place at this point, 
that you can enter from multiple directions and like exit from multiple directions out into the overworld. Hmm. So there is no true... You could exit any exit that you wanted to. You don't have to exit out into the swamp. There isn't that big boundless moment. When you step out of Clocktown, you realize that like in Ocarina of Time, Hyrule is sort of the hub. Hyrule Field is sort of the hub, but it connects to like, like all these things are connected. It's the outdoors that feels like the hub. It's that guiding line of being outside, being out, being on the horse, adventuring. And when you step out of Clocktown, you realize that like Clocktown is the hub and that's the center of the game. And that's the where everything from the game reaches out of is the central place of people. And I think it's just a totally different feeling. And it's interesting that despite that, technically Majora's Mask is less open, but it feels like you have so many more options. You know what I mean? Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I don't. Um, but that, sure. <laughs> I, I do. It's just, I know. I know. I know what you're, <laughs> I know what you're getting at though. And I think that's what, like, especially playing it as a kid when we were renting it, um, or later getting it with the collection, um, the buggy, terrible port that crashes when you punch a boulder at the wrong angle. <laughs> I still remember that. I I'm don't. still mad. Huh. I remember, uh, it was, it's like right at like two thirds through Snowhead, and you punch. I was always deathly afraid of punching those snow boulders because the game crashed so many times and it's so terrible. But, um, I just, I remember that being such a, a big part. It's almost like the game deliberately cutting them off, but cutting them, they, they're, they're cut off in ways that it's not like the game's like having a character be like, oh no, you can't do that. It's just more like there's a physical obstacle, like like a six foot tall fence preventing you getting to Great Bay. And you're like, that's, what? That's it? Like you get, you get like a small, kind of in a similar sense to what Ocarina does, but like a little more immediate in it. Um, as you're immediately, it's like you can see it and you're like, okay, this is like the beach area, this is the Zora area, but I can only, like, I can't even get past this fence, this one fence in front of me. Or there's the Goron area, but there's these big icicles um, that you can't really get past either, but you can still see that area. And then Akana, you can at least go as far as going into the first, like, kind of checkpoint area. And then you're, once again, ah, dreaded fences, but it's still... I don't know, like with that, it works in, in a similar way to Ocarina of Time, but it's so much more immediate in that sense that, sure, you might be, you're like, okay, yeah, obviously I have to go towards the swamp, but you're still, like that kind of curiosity is peaked. You're like, okay, there's a physical obstacle here. Like I will be able to get past this at some point. And it just makes you more itch, like it just makes you itch to know what's past that. And also just because, I think again, with the combination of the time limit, uh, along with the way these areas are structured, something leads to it that it's like, yeah, these are these are definitely more structured than the way Ocarina of Time was. Like Ocarina of Time, like Death Mountain, I always think is such a weird layout for what it is compared to something like Woodfall that has, like you have like the, the stream, which from just like a geographical point, I mean, I guess you could just call it a lazy river if you really want to be <laughs> strange or pedantic about it. But, but I mean, kind of, the way it circulates, it cuts. It's kind of that way. Um, but even even that, actually, oh, that's right. The um, the the stream from 
Ikena Canyon actually drops down into next to the witch's house. It does. That's actually, which is a really cool, I, I kind of wish they did just a little bit more of that, but that's, that's still a really cool little bit that they did. I love that. But they, they managed to, they, they connect the worlds in a way that's different from Ocarina. They connect them like socially, not necessarily. Yeah. It's through the connection of like this center point. And I think you're kind of getting on the same track here. It doesn't bother me that those areas are closed off to me because of the nature of the time limit and the fact that like what you kind of need to do is a little obscure. I think it part of it is like, okay, well, we're going to keep the masks behind these things. So you don't get things too early, but they could have always item locked those or instant locked those in some way. Yeah. I think it's very important that this game isn't so totally nonlinear because with the time limit, it would have just been too overwhelming. Like, Oh, it would have been insane. You can just stroll around Hyrule Field in Ocarina of Time, take your time, figure out what's going on, whatever. And the game allows you to do that. You go to these areas and you're just like, oh, that's cool. That's there. Oh, get a heart piece or whatever. And and that's one thing that I really enjoy about that game that I won't say I miss here because games are allowed to do different things, but we'll always, you know, I'll always have a lot of love in my heart for that game because it feels fundamentally different than this one in the way that you explore the environment to get heart pieces. And in this game, you're exploring relationships and interactions and side quests and things like that versus just that free form roaming around. And they're just two different things. There's not, you know, you could have your personal preference. I think they're both done really well. But you know, it, in the way that the areas are sort of given so much buildup that it's like structured, but like also kind of not in a way, it would just have been so overwhelming if it was like, yeah, I'm going to go check out the village. Like it's really important the way this game works that each area is sectioned off. And that's really the only way it could work. Otherwise it would just be too much. Oh, it'd be a night. It's, it's already, uh, it's already a game that I would never recommend to someone like a newcomer to the series. And it's already, I'm already like, you should play, you could play, you should play Ocarina but also it wouldn't hurt to play Wind Waker and Twilight Princess. It may, it may even be worth like playing some of the top-down games. Like you should just get you should get Zelda experience and then you should play Majora's Mask. Yeah. Like you just you you need cuz like that alone at least at least when the game is trying to convey certain things, there's just a Zelda nature to it that you're like you'll you'll connect with it a little faster than going in blind of which you're just gonna you're just gonna get frustrated there's you know that is probably one of the i don't know if i i, I can't i mean you could consider it a mark against it i just consider it a caveat to, to playing it you really can't it's not an accessible game that's all no, there is to it's it. not and they said that explicitly they were like we didn't want a tutorial because we're like yeah you played ocarina and if you didn't yeah then, like screw you <laughs> it's not it's not hospitable the way that ocarina was like you just yeah. kind of have to i mean i remember I don't know if the story, I don't remember if the story I told actually made it on the podcast, but I did tell a story, at least when we were chatting about uh, a friend from college who played Ocarina for the first time in front of me and struggled to find the sword. I would not wish (laughs) (laughs) watching it figure out, I mean, the stress of having to figure out the answer to this game and like, yeah putting all the pieces together would be kind of a lot. And I, I think the only way this game works with its time limit and with sort of all of the things that can be done is it has to limit you to these areas and force you to focus and go, okay, like some there's a solution in this area and come back to Great Bay. Uh, you know, Great Bay, because it's so open, I think that's also why it's kind of like 
overwhelming. It just feels like too much because it's not so guided that actually like going to an open area like that kind of makes you go like, what am I supposed to do? And yeah. what are the steps? And it's not that each other area holds your hand, but it becomes easier to put the pieces together. You're like given, you're given like A, B, and C, and you got to figure out with these letters what order they go in. And with Great Bay, it kind of feels like you're handed B. <laughs> you're like, yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. So how do I get this song now? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's just like one of those things where when you play through it again, you can prepare yourself for certain things. Yeah. So like, oh yeah. And I've always played with the knowledge of like Zora eggs and like Pirate's Fortress and make sure you have enough time. But there's certain things with this game. If you're playing it for the very first time and you're going in blind, I can imagine it'd be very frustrating because you have no concept of how much time things are going to take. And so I could easily see someone playing this game for the first time and like starting something that they think might be a big undertaking on day two and being like, oh, I don't know if I have enough time for this because they don't know how long it's going to take to get this thing unlocked. So I don't know, I, I could just see a lot of frustration and like people being overwhelmed like very easily. And like having sat with this game a long time, I think it makes it easier to play. But even I had my own frustrations. I, I think, I don't know, I, a time limit on dungeons is not really my thing. I really struggle. The first two I've played tons of times and then um, the last two, this was my first time ever beating Stone Tower. I believe. I'm pretty sure. I don't ask me how I just have not beaten this game. It's <laughs> it's because I, I just would get stuck at Great Bay and then it would kind of be like, well, I did. I got all the masks. And yeah. like, I've, you know, I don't need to beat a majority of myself. I've seen other people do it. So I wasn't really caught up in that. So I would just kind of get to that point and go, okay, like I got to the Great Bay. It's over. Um, I really like the puzzles in this game, but I also feel like there's just that added stress with the time limit that I actually looked up a couple of things because I was really in danger of running out of time and I don't yeah. enjoy doing that. And so I just feel felt under the gun and I don't really. And also that one chest you have to hook shot in Stone Tower. I just. Oh, yeah. It made me feel so dumb and I kind of. <laughs> Yeah. I don't think the game taught me that. That game, that chest felt so optional. Felt so like, oh, cool. Going to have to turn it around it and get another chest. kind of weird that I, that's required. God, I flipped. You I think had they to look it just, up. Uh, I generate a hookshot target instead. I spent hours in that stupid temple trying to figure out how to get to that room <laughs> and was like, well, if I come out to this ledge, like, I don't know. It just was. Anyways. I never even thought about that. Yeah, that's just been so ingrained in me. Yeah, that's it was not that, ingrained yeah. in me, and uh, it did not. <laughs> it did not feel like it was what the game wanted me to do. Yeah, and then I was like, "Oh, okay, cool." Yeah, I love. Yeah, I'll, I'll, um, I'll second that. That's that's definitely a big point of. Um, they could have just put a hookshot target there, and I think the puzzle would have been better because it yeah. gives you so many optional chests for fairies that the game is conditioned to be like, oh, cool, I didn't need to trigger that. That was just an extra thing I did. So I never yeah. thought triggering a fairy chest that it would be necessary in order to progress in the game. In like the final thing to do in the game in which it has never asked you to ever use a fairy chest to do anything or like <laughs> made that mandatory in any way. And now here we are in the 11th hour. 
Anyways, it's yeah. fine. So <laughs> it's fine. But like the dungeon designs, I think are are I don't want to call them so far as a big. I mean, I would say in many ways the the having the whole center the center room, the like a main room kind of design that they kind of they kind of build around to have it affect the dungeon. I think is amazing. I think it's incredibly well thought out. Yes, and I think it works very well here, where in other games it's actually bothered me or felt tedious. Then here it actually yeah. and like it, it works. It works. They they nail I think that right balance of really feeling like you're actually trying to work the details out. I really kind of appreciate, like especially in the top-down Zeldas that do get you to kind of have to really think about where you're coming from and where you're coming out at. It makes a lot more sense in a 3D game, and I think Majora's Mask probably is the best, I would say is one of the best examples of it in the in the series, probably like right next with uh, Ocarina of Time, as far as like how it utilizes mechanics to really make you feel positionally aware of where you're at. It is... It is though understandably frustrating for I mean even it's just it's daunting. It's daunting when you when you compare that it's like all right, here's these more you have to be more positionally aware but also you're mentally taxed. I think my thing with the dungeons is that I feel like they're ha- it's hard for them to modulate difficulty because they can't really make them longer. They're limited in the amount of time that it needs to be reasonable to complete it. And I don't I don't know. I don't love that aspect of it. You know, it's funny like yeah. playing something like Persona games where you go in and out of dungeons and play them over a long period of time. I think something that could have worked here is if these dungeons were removed from time. And I don't know, that's an idea that I think actually could have been very fun or even to be able to start and stop progress of dungeons but not lose so much. Yeah. Uh, would be if they were more like living entities that you could come back to and come around to in sort of ways and like yeah i just wish that the dungeons didn't reset after three days i kind of wish they were just removed from time because it would also just be nice if they could have been bigger so then you could you know play them for a couple of days and go okay like i got my key item i'm gonna come back to that situation and go do these other things or even move on to the next area and then come back to that dungeon from like a mini boss warp point or something and like that would have required very large dungeons but i just think it's a concept that would have made the game feel larger and more complete like i don't it doesn't bother me that there are only four dungeons like i feel like i've said it i'll say it many times that dungeons aren't really my thing in a zelda game but i feel like that having to create dungeons that could be executed in that amount of time is really limiting and I know that I struggled with the final two and completing them in time. And I would say I'm a pretty savvy Zelda player that has not really struggled with the puzzles. Uh, and I, I feel like it's kind of a lot. It's a big ask. And I know that getting the fairies is its own additional challenge, but of course you're going to get the fairies. And it's one of those things where it's like, you want to get them now because what? You're going to rebeat the dungeon. So if you're going to do it, you want to do it all at the same time because going back and replaying a dungeon to collect fairies is not fun. So it's like, eh, yeah. <laughs> so that's a positive note to end it on. It's me being like, well, well, you know, I don't like that, but, <laughs> but the game is it's great. So let's just, but we could, we could go on to the next yeah. and can keep it. We can end on a good. That's note. <laughs> right. Let's end on a good note. So let's talk yeah. about what about this game we remember the most. Man, I could just say the entirety of clock town, I guess. I don't know. I like, I, I know um, 
I mean, I'm not going to stand, not like an elitist stance, because some some people do get kind of uppity about things for no reason, whereas, like, say, like, some of the 3DS changes I'm more than okay with. I, well, like, the, like the save system change, but I, like, getting into specifically what, I, what I'm getting at, I kind of love and adore that this game is is daunting. I love uh, tying in what I kind of wanted to say earlier, but we'll mention here, like, Woodfall as a first dungeon. Like, it's not, like, going back to it, it's really not hard at all. But it's it's I mean it's a it's a step up above I would say pretty much most of the child dungeons from Ocarina of Time with respect to that it's almost just like oh I guess we're just doing adult link dungeons now like immediately you're like okay and I I have always that's always kind of stuck with me I love that this game kind of simultaneously understands what it is and embraces that I understand that that's also as we just discussed kind of a point of contention and also a stress for you and a lot of people understandably. Um, but I think it just, it collectively adds to the the atmosphere of this game in such an immense way. I think really this game's best factor is all of the thing, all, like all of the, all, all aspects of the game from its sound design, the, the music, the, uh, the visual design, the, just the game design itself, everything coming together, um, the way it intersects and forms and shines is I was really unlike anything else in the series. It's not to say the other like games in the series aren't because they they have they absolutely have their own attributes that make them work and and uh, stand out in such phenomenal ways. Um, Majora's Mask to me is so much of it becomes I don't know if I want to <laughs> it might be lofty to call it pinnacle of game design, but it really it's it's amazing. It's it's incredible as to how all the pieces intersect in such a way. That the experience is nothing, nothing short of of sublime, when when you have those moments come together in the game, and it's the, the best part is there's just so many of those moments. Um, I think it's why it's easy for me to to kind of ignore the failings of the second half of the game. Like I am absolutely with you on. I really do wish there was more to them. Uh, there was always like kind of like bits and pieces more that I wish could have been done to kind of like really make them more fleshed out. And other aspects feel more connected or like the cardinal, just the those areas specifically, or even just all four areas kind of feel more connected with Clock Town. I mean, they are in, in ways, but um, not necessarily. But I think at the end of the day, when I, when I start cleaning up the, the last side quests in the game, and I'm really just hanging around Clock Town before ending my playthrough. Um, it's always, every time I'm hanging around Clock Town late to end game, is always just such a strong reminder of why I love this game so much. Because everything, it just comes together. It comes together in, in perfect harmony. And it takes a lot. It's not accessible to get there. It takes a lot to certainly get invested and get there. But when you're there, uh, I think that I just find the payoff to be enormous. And that's, I think, why this will always be such a standout game in my mind. There will be nothing like it. And I think that's also, I think that's okay. I think that's fine. Even just as we talk about previous games and think ahead as well and look ahead, it's just kind of evident that it's like it's fine with Majora's Mask being Majora's Mask because I'll always be able to come back to it and I'll always be able to appreciate Ocarina of Time for what it is as well. Um, I even liked one of the things that we discussed as well that that really made me love Ocarina, Ocarina of Time even more now too is that these these games are they're kind of they're inseparable they're kind of like a perfect duo of games that one is not specifically better than the other. I might prefer one more over the other, but I think they they share a harmony together that contrast each other and complement each other like perfectly that makes me appreciate Ocarina of Time in a new light by having Majora's Mask be the game that it is. Yeah. 
the N64 games will, you know, it's the end of an era and they, they're a specific kind of Zelda game because they're specific and so tightly designed and also small and they're allowed to be small and it's before weighty expectations get thrown on 3D games and we're still at that level of abstraction where we can use our imagination and put all of these extra things into these games and you get two really wonderful unique experiences out of them and it's like I'm just so glad that this era of games exists I'm so glad that we got really what is a bonus Zelda game it's pretty special um <laughs> yeah and you know, for me, I would say the thing I'll always remember is the first three days and what it feels like to start this game. And when you say when you say that it's it's daunting, it's overwhelming. That's what excites me when I start the game is it feels like, all right, here we go. <laughs> like you can't dawdle. I don't just live in it the way I live in Ocarina of Time. I've got to, you know, I I play a lot of games very casually in that I'll just leave them on. And I'll just like live with the sounds and I'll just hang out in it and I'll just sit there and add tons of extra hours to my playthrough. And you can't do that with this game, which is also tough for me. There were a couple of times where I caught, I was caught mentally napping and was like, oh crap, I missed my <laughs> I hate myself. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but you know what, this game where Ocarina of Time is sort of my comfort food, it's the game that makes me feel most at home. It just, I don't know, it's like a warm hug. Uh, this game is always kind of like it's cool, like older brother or something. Like it is mysterious. And part of it is we didn't own this game until the collection came out. My memories of playing it were like playing it at, there was a demo at Toys R Us. <laughs> you remember that? Yeah, you mentioned yeah, that. Yeah, I, I swear that was a thing. <sighs> I don't know because I might have been too I, young. So I can't, I'm prone I to create memories. Right. But I swear. There was a demo and you could play as Deku Link. And I just really remember skipping in the pond. And it always <laughs> felt like this thing where I was too young and the internet was too far away for me to be like demanding this game or like, and probably the expansion part pack was probably like, we're not going to get an expansion pack for one game. Probably was like an issue <laughs> with getting this game, but it was so long ago. Like, I don't remember, you know, what the issues yeah. were and why we didn't own it. But it always felt like, here's my favorite game of all time. Here's my favorite game of all time. And then here, over here, is this other game that's part of that. And I've never been able to play it. And it felt so boundless to me. I was like, oh. Like, having a like something like that that you want to play that you haven't seen. And so I've seen it so many less times that it always feels like when I start it, it feels like the beginning of like a promise of something new. Every time I play it, and I think it will always have that feeling for me of going from like old faithful to like this game where I'm never quite sure what I'm going to get. And I play it and I go, oh yeah, I do remember everything about this game. But every time I start it, it will always feel like I'm going to see something I've never seen before. episode will set sail with Wind Waker. Public opinion on the game has ebbed and flowed over the years. Is it washed up or sailing strong? We'll find out 
next time on A Retro Perspective.